Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got holes on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. On a day that we uh, sort of hinted at yesterday, it's the middle day of the World Series. Another great game Last night, game two in the best of seven. It's now even at one apiece, the Dodgers and the Astros. Last night, really one of the epic uh, World Series games in recent memory. But we hinted at, boy, during the World Series, where they don't like any other news around baseball to detract from the World Series, wouldn't it be something if the Yankees on their day off decided to make a managerial change? And that has happened today as Joe Girardi is out after 10 years with the Yankees, some successes, some bloopers, and the biggest takeaway that we have today is how hard are these jobs? Now, you could make the argument, I think, you know, you made a lot of money and all this stuff, but it's really hard because the Yankees outperformed their expectations this year. And I know people want to quibble with Girardi and he's two by the book and he's this and he's that, and he botched the replay scenario uh, in the postseason and therefore he's got to go. It's just incredible how quick the triggers are on some of these people and situations and wham, fire, we'll, we'll get a better manager. To me, the biggest takeaway on Girardi being out is a couple of things, and the overwhelming one also is not a great feeling to have as a baseball fan. The value of the manager is declining significantly. People that run these organizations, they run them by the book, So they feel like most of these decisions are pre-made. In fact, Binder Joe, that's the derisive nickname for Joe Girardi. He makes every decision by the book and by the numbers to begin with. One of the reasons for that is you can lean on that. You've dated a point to, especially when you're in the cauldron of the New York City media market. You're on Yes Network. Every move you do is scrutinized. People care a whole lot less what happens with the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, and I don't think you know how he analyzes his game decisions or uh, presents them uh, for the media. But in New York, where there's 12 newspapers covering the team every day, and there's talk radio, and there's an entire network that's owned by the team that broadcasts uh, every movement of the team, and the press conferences live, and the pregame press conferences, and the batting practice show, and you better have your stuff together when it comes to determining or explaining your decisions. And it's sports. Sometimes the best decisions don't work out. That's why a by-the-book manager is probably well-suited to New York, and we're seeing it everywhere that by-the-book is the way to go. The idea of, oh, I put my players in this position, I built my lineup this way, I had a hunch, rub some dirt on it, that type of thing, not here anymore, and we're going to hear about that in just a bit couple of soundbites to play for you from ESPN slash Yankees personalities, two guys that have covered the Yankees for 20 and 30 years. Buster Olney, ESPN senior baseball writer, saw this coming. Uh, not surprised. Uh, we've been talking about it for the last month that it felt like that, uh, that the relationship between Joe and the Yankees seemingly was reaching an expiration point, uh, like a marriage that had just sort of run its course. Uh, you know, Joe had been there for a long time. 
I think managers in New York and Boston have a very limited shelf life. And the fact that he'd been there for 10 years, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a long time. And, um, you know, I, I said, spoken with friends of Joe during the course of the year, they wondered if Joe would even want to come back uh, for another contract. And we don't know exactly yet whether this was just the Yankees saying, you know what, we're ready for a different voice or if something happened during the course of negotiations, or if it was Joe himself who said, you know what, I'm done. I want to go on. I want to watch my son Dante play high school baseball. I want to do something else. But you had got this during the course of October that this was going to, this was how this was going to turn out. To uh, pick a part there, and uh, the idea that Joe Girardi would move on on his own, you could somehow see that too. Uh, these things really grind. Tito Francona, Terry Francona is maybe the best manager in baseball. He's certainly right up there. And he's been in two very intensive media markets in uh, Philadelphia and Boston. And you could see how a guy like that might prefer to be in Cleveland or Seattle or Milwaukee or Denver or Phoenix. And he's uh, obviously as good a manager as there is. It does wear on you. I thought uh, Charlie Strong, when he went to the University of Texas, was not in position to succeed because of Longhorn Network. Because you're not only asking him to coach your team and to be good immediately and to uh, uphold the standards of, of the University of Texas football, you're also asking him to be a television personality. He's not cut out for that. Girardi, not necessarily cut out for that either. But now you're looking at the uh, Eastern Division in the AL and NL, uh, basically having turnover of half the managers. And what if Girardi goes back to the Marlins, where he had been manager the year before, and goes to work for Derek Jeter? And does that mean Don Mattingly is out there and coming back to the Yankees? Do the Yankees stay in-house? Michael Kay, the television play-by-play voice of Yankees baseball on the Yes Network, on who would be next? Well, I have talks with people all the time. I mean, one of the big complaints is that Joe is so beholden to the binder and the numbers, and you know, I always tell people, Earl Weaver and Billy Martin are not walking through that door. That is not the type of manager that the Yankees are going to bring in. Because what baseball has done now, with the heavy emphasis on analytics, is they've turned this into a situation where that job is a job of a middle manager. It's not the job of a guy who's going to uh, you know, go by the gut, or you know, an old-time baseball man. Don Zimmer would not get this job. Earl Weaver would not get this job. So it's going to be somebody who falls in line with the numbers. Well, that's uh, the way baseball is right now. There's not the fat guy in the dugout spitting chaw and just kind of going by his hunch as we romanticize about the 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, managers in baseball. Uh, Tony La Russa, you know, they literally wrote the book about him and the way he had thought the game inside and out, Buck Showalter after him, and so many of these now. Joe Madden, everybody thinks he's a great manager, and he is. He's got every decision mapped out based on analytics and numbers. The uh, general managers now are not necessarily the best scouts in the room. They're graduates of Harvard and MIT who have cooked the books. Baseball's, and you guys know the money ball concept, baseball's more conducive to that than any other sport because there's more data. There's 162 games. There's 500 at-bats per year per player. The Pitchers are brought into these uh, situations, and all of that is uh, categorized and, and chronicled in black and white. doesn't always mean it's going to work out, 
Your buddy uh, Dave Roberts last night, Polly used his manager for or used his uh, starting pitcher for four innings. The former Chief Rich Hill in the start in Game Two, he pitched effectively. He took him out. Dave Roberts' philosophy is: Look, we use we have a day off. Our bullpen is a bunch of guys that throw 100 miles an hour. We're going to bring them in for these matchups. It ended up sort of working. They lost the game, not for that uh, reason necessarily, but uh, that's what we're going to see, I think, in baseball anymore. I uh, remember back to my childhood, uh, a horrible memory in my baseball fandom was uh, Dick Williams walking to the mound to Gossage, telling him to walk Kurt Gibson in Game 4 of the World Series, and uh, Gossage said no. And Dick Williams said okay and walked back into the walked back into the dugout and Gossage gave up a home run. That would not happen in today's baseball. He may not even been pitching to the guy because the book said you're not pitching to this guy. You yeah. Know? So Well, and you can think of uh through time, you know, nineteen eighty six, right? Joe Morgan, the manager of the of the Red Sox and Roger Clemens, and you know you had to manage. You know you had to had to have a, a reason and an explanation for it, and a and a feel. And your feel had to be better than the other guys uh, in 1986. Now it's now we've got this data that shows that this was going to be a more effective matchup. We've got spin rates, and we've got uh, certainly uh, you know lefty righty matchups, and the type of pitches that guys throw versus the type of pitches other guys can hit, and their hot zones, and there's just so much more. Uh, data and the computations that go into it make a lot of these uh, decisions, but it's a shame. I, I'm not going to go uh, stand, you know, on on the wall and uh, and stump for Joe Girardi. I think people who really know baseball and follow it every day think he's a really good manager. Uh, I know others want to say, well, he didn't have his best year. Well, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. He took a team that I think if we said in April the Yankees aren't going to make the playoffs at all, I don't think anybody would have been baffled by that. They were with within a couple outs of the World Series. So, and it's a young team that started out hot, had a dip, got corrected. And my feeling is that it looks like the Yankees, by making this move, if they hand the job over to Tony Pena or Rob Thompson, are just going to ride it out with a young team that's used to hearing from those guys and they're devaluing the position, whether it's literally the safe money in terms of what they would have paid Girardi versus what they're going to pay the replacement, they're putting more emphasis on, look, you just manage by the book and it's not going to affect the outcome uh, as far as we're concerned a great deal. So bring Showalter back would be my my pick. Can I hit on something through the yes. average fan – Calling for Girardi to be fired drives me crazy yeah. too. Well, just look at your look at the average person's job. If you made like a, if you lost your company, the equivalent of what happened in the replay incident, you lost your company a hundred bucks, you know, and you were there for ten years. So we're tired of you after ten years. You got to go. You you just got to look. Well, it's, and it's he someone's was manager job. of the year in the National League and left. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know the Marlins, and he could be manager of the year, you know, with the Yankees and and go. So. Um, no, you're 100% right. Coaching is really, really hard. Uh, being a college uh, football, basketball coach, NFL coach, NBA coach. NBA coach of the year is a death sentence. We've seen that over and over. Major League Baseball manager. And I know you're driving down the road right now and you're saying, well, they make a lot of money. And they do. And they're paid a lot of money 
for what they might have to do. They're paid a lot of money to cut players. They're paid a lot of money to uproot their family. They're paid a lot of money for the hours they work. They're paid a lot of money for dealing with the media. They're paid a lot of money because they're going to be fired and out of a job and and, uh, have to find a place to live and all that stuff now too. So there's a a lot that uh, goes into it. I'm just blown away by how uh, capricious, and I shouldn't say capricious because it's, it, this is obviously thought out, but how brashly it seems like uh, some organizations uh, part with their people and uh, that, uh, you know, Girardi all of a sudden need to be out. The, the Red Sox, how are they, you know, are they going to go to the quote unquote the next level with uh, their next manager? As it turns out, I think they got a guy that people have been talking about for a long time as, you know, a next potential star manager in uh, Alex Cora. But uh, but we'll see. It's a fun to play that game, though, of who could be the next coach or manager at these positions. And it um, doesn't seem like the Yankees are going to turn to necessarily outside the organization because if you hire, if you got rid of Joe Girardi without already having a pretty good idea of who you could land, then you made a mistake. You know, and we've seen that happen before. They fire a guy and then and don't actually make any improvement uh, whatsoever. But uh, well, I think, we shall see. I think the Yankees more than the Red Sox are in a case of if it ain't broke, don't fix. You know, right. you know. And this, well, the Red Sox this, had a little bit of uh, dysfunction. Whether that was John Farrell's uh, fault, I, I think is a, a matter for somebody to weigh in on. That's around the team every day. Uh, in this case, the Yankees weren't dysfunctional in any way. They're they're young. They've got some pieces. They're going to continue to be young and uh, have some exciting players going forward. But now they'll play for a new manager. All right, we are in the booth here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. A little uh, behind the clock when we come back. We're going to talk football, and with no big game here in Syracuse this weekend, we'll keep an eye on one of the big games involving two ranked teams this week in college football. That's when we come back, get back into that uh, World Series talk when we continue. Your phone calls are welcome as well. Tell you more about that as we continue. In the booth on ESPN Radio Series. Tune in every Monday as Hall of Famer Floyd Little talks SU football with Steve and Seth on Orange Nation. Brought to you by Drivers Village and William Matar. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Good to have you along with us. No football for the Orange this weekend, so we went out in search of football, and we found our friend Brian Estridge, who has the TCU-Iowa State game this weekend. Former Big East brother in TCU for that brief time. Hello, Brian. <laughs> want to go back you and play reminisce? Dirty Diana, as I come on, you've got yeah. me, buddy. Yeah, Anytime. well, we want to have you back. Yeah. Uh, do, exactly. This show has a name and sponsors and imaging and all of that. Are you impressed? That's- you know what? I had no idea it was this sophisticated. I would have taken a shower if I'd have known that uh, ahead of time. But uh, you, you know, might have okay. to afterward. Yeah, that's hey, the problem. Did you did you ever get a T-shirt with the Big East logo on it, with the TCU logo on it? That would have been really cool. Yeah, collectors. I, know, I never I, I never even got one of those. Are there that's a bunch how, of kids in Somalia running around with those right now? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think I think everybody who lives on Barbuda, you know, <laughs> they got wiped out. Now has a T-shirt that says, you know, Big East football reigns here. Yeah, uh, go back. I, I I thought that would be uh, a way for you to educate our uh, listeners up here about uh, TCU's rise. Uh, I won't even call it fall, but a brief dip and then uh, return to national prominence. But the idea of 
going through three and four conferences uh, in that time is uh, pretty incredible, more or less with the same coach uh, to get it done. And uh, I think from afar, it's been a fun program to watch. Yeah, I tell you what happened, you know, Matt, in the mid-90s when the Southwest Conference split up in the Big 12 form, there were there were haves and have-nots. And at the time, TCU was a have-not. They hadn't really invested in their facilities. They hadn't invested in their athletic department. They were just pulling a check out of the Southwest Conference. And, and because of that, when the league did split up, uh, they weren't invited to go to the Big 12. And so they were kind of left to scramble to find a home with, uh, with teams like Rice and SMU They were and Houston. It was kind of where do we land now? And at the time, they were fortunate enough to land, uh, I guess you say fortunate enough, it was really the only place they could go, in what was then a, a 16-team Western Athletic Conference, the old WAC, uh, you know, that had BYU and Utah and teams like that in it. And so they landed in the 16-team WAC, and then all of a sudden they woke up one day and the 16-team WAC busted up, and the Mountain West was formed out of that, and they weren't invited. <laughs> so that's two times uh, that they didn't get invited to the to the better league after a split. You know, it's like when your church splits up, and all of a sudden you get the you know well, there's there's one that gets to keep the the big nice sanctuary, and all of a sudden you, you know you're meeting in an old grocery store. So the yeah, and, the, and the real got, the real pastor goes to the nice new shiny church yes, they just built. And, yes, and you you got the guy that took the correspondence course. <laughs> Right, exactly. I got a guy that went to Fruitland Bible College, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, that's, that's all you get. Well, you're there, and and then finally they worked them, themselves out of the whack uh, and into Conference USA, which was a pretty good league. Cincinnati, Louisville, uh, you know, were in it basketball wise. It was good. It was really good. Marquette and DePaul, um, and, and so that was kind of clicking along nicely. But it was never really home because we were kind of the, the furthest, uh, you know, Western outpost. Uh, in Conference USA. So they, they got invited to the Mountain West and BYU and Utah, and then later Boise comes in the league, and that's a pretty good football league, and they, and they had some success there, and you know able to make it to the Fiesta Bowl, and then able to make it to the Rose Bowl, and really poured a ton of money into facilities, man, as you know, and, and a ton of money into coaches, and, um, and, and really positioned themselves when it was time for the Big 12 to look around when Missouri – and Arkansas, and or well, really, uh, when Missouri and Colorado left in Nebraska, uh, there was a chance for them to find a home. And uh, then Texas A&M leaves, and TCU was able to slide right in. And it, it's been really good for the program. Uh, obviously, Big 12 money is really good. It, you know, individual school-wise, it's one of the, the second-highest check in the country. Uh, so that's, that's a good thing. And they've reinvested in the program. And so Gary Patterson, for 17 of those years, has been the head coach here. Uh, you know, it's a he's won 156 games or whatever it is. That's a, that's a pretty good percentage uh, for a head coach. So it's 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 been a, it's been a fun ride to say the least. We're visiting with Brian Estridge of WBAP in Dallas, and uh, also the radio play-by-play voice of uh, TCU football and basketball and everything else they ask him to do. And I, I use TCU as an example uh, before we get into this ga- week's game, Brian. Um, you know, when we talk about the trajectory of the program here and what it's going to take to upgrade facilities and show commitment, et cetera. I think people here could look and, and go, well, look at TCU. They they went through a period where they weren't all that relevant and now they're in the top five or 10 every year and they make it look easy. It's not that easy. And there's also resources there that you might not know until you show up. So tell me about the Founders Club. Yeah, the Founders Club is a pretty amazing commitment that six gentlemen made to the stadium. $175 million renovation of uh, Eamon Carter Stadium a couple of years ago. And these six guys said, we're going to give you $15 million each. Each. And they, and they, each. And they, stroke a, they each one stroke a check. 
for fifteen million bucks. And so they have a founders club that is for their for their suites. They have six suites, closest suites you're going to find in the field uh, in college football, I think. And uh, it's as if you walked in the Ritz Carlton. It is uh, it is a show place. There's 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 nothing like it out there. And then on top of that, there are another twenty five suites. Uh, on the next level up, you know, which is, which go for about two and a half million dollars each. So, you know, there, there's been a real commitment. Uh, obviously, Dallas Fort Worth has uh, has benefited from the oil and gas industry over the years. So there's so that you get to benefit from that. But uh, it doesn't matter wh- where it comes from as as long as you've got people making an emotional commitment to your program. And it looks like to me from afar that Syracuse is close to that because I, I, it starts with the right coach, you know. And, and I, I look at Coach Babers and I look at Coach Patterson. Similar paths. These are guys that paid their dues. You know, I, there, there are two there are two things that I don't trust in life, man. I don't trust when a school um, that is on the rise, that is that is trying to get better, goes out and hires the hottest offensive coordinator in the country, who's only bid at the prime time programs, who wears a visor at night games with glasses on top. I don't trust that guy. <laughs> you know, and the I can other think guy of a couple of those. Is, uh, I, and I've learned this the hard way. And don't take this the wrong way now. I don't trust quarterbacks with full-sleeve tattoos anymore. Those are the two things in life that I don't trust. Now, I think because of that, go ahead. You know, because of that, I think you got the right guy at Syracuse because I I like how he came through Eastern Illinois. I like how he came, what he did uh, in the MAC, and now to, to, to put his program in place. These are guys that cut their teeth. They made mistakes when nobody was watching. They learned from it. You know, Gary Patterson talked about coaching at Sonoma State with Larry Allen on the offensive line in front of 200 people. That's where you learn. And so because of that, I think once you get the right coach, then you get people emotionally invested. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, it, then, you start to, then you start to really see the fruits of your labor, and, and that's when facilities show up, and that's when fans come back, and that's when national attention comes. There's so much to be said for having workshopped your program. And, yes, you've yes. done it yes. uh, under the cover. You know, nobody cares about Sonoma State and Eastern Illinois. And very few care about Bowling Green, but you're able to implement, you go through, that's an actual skill, the idea of implementing your program, connecting it to recruiting, uh, selling it to the administration uh, at the school uh, you're involved with, and that, and bringing that as a package is what Dino Babers has done here. It's what has allowed him to have uh, at least this modicum of success here coming into year two, and we'll see if the Orange can follow it up with uh, four games remaining, needing to win two to get to a bowl. TCU's in a bowl every year. Brian Estridge, their play-by-play announcer, is with us. Um, there's a coach that fits the description uh, that you just laid out there, Brian, and his team lost to Iowa State uh, a couple weeks ago. And Iowa State, all of a sudden, from being off the map, has a former MAC coach in uh, Matt Campbell, who was at Toledo, who's gotten them going. They got good in a hurry, and uh, this sets up a, as a really nice matchup for uh, your team on the road this weekend. Yeah, Matt Campbell has done a terrific job. And again, much like Coach Babers, much like Coach Patterson at TCU, honed his craft. It's small. He's a Mountain Union grad. Uh, he, here's, a, here's a guy that kind of worked his way up, uh, was the head coach at Toledo. Here's what happened when guys have a chance to do that, to, as you talk about, to kind of build that uh, program and put it in place. They're not surprised. You know what I'm saying? They've <laughs> yeah. seen it at other places. They, you know, they, they know what the challenges are, where the potholes are, what's around the corner on the calendar. Nothing sneaks up on them, and so they're a little more calm when it comes to leading a program. And I, and I, and I think that's what Matt Campbell has brought to uh, to Iowa State. There's an air of confidence about him uh, that nothing's going to surprise him, no matter how big the challenge in the Big Twelve. And so his team is playing like that. 
uh, as Gary Patterson said, one of the things that helps him though is he's got a basketball team for wide receivers. You know, he's got four guys over six foot five. Wow. Uh, that sometimes you can just throw the fade in the corner and they're going to go up and get it. You know, he's he he, he brought in uh, uh, Joe Haycock, who's a, a, a defensive coordinator who's been around the block for thirty something years and coached with Jim Trestle and knows what it's supposed to look like. And you know, he he's brought a. A, a real attitude to this defense at Iowa State. So, and and here's one of those hidden things that you know at Syracuse you may not realize this that that um, Iowa State at Jack Trice Stadium they'll have sixty thousand people there Saturday. It'll be packed, but that's every Saturday. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're three and eight or eight and three. That's the way it is at Iowa State. So you've got that built in there. So uh, you know it was just a matter of time before somebody figured it out. And Matt Campbell has it. Yeah, we're looking forward to a big game this weekend. We get to watch some football this weekend. Penn State, Ohio State is the biggest game on the docket, but another of the ranked, ranked matchups is this one that we're talking about, TCU against Iowa State in Ames. Notre Dame, NC State is another good one. Oklahoma State, West Virginia, uh, all coming up uh, this weekend. And uh, we don't spend a ton of time talking about TCU basketball on the show, Brian. That's probably going to come as a, a big surprise, but we'll give you 30 seconds here to tell us how Jamie Dixon is doing. He's done a really good job. You know, for the first time uh, in about 20 years, TCU's picked to finish in the uh, upper division of a league. They're picked third in the Big 12, which arguably one of the top three uh, leagues in the country with Kansas at the top of it. And I, I, I was just talking to him at a luncheon just now. and I said, I felt like Bill Self was kind of teeing us up at Media Day because all Bill Self wanted to talk about was TCU and Jamie Dixon and the job that he's done uh, because he's got to find somebody, you know, that becomes enemy number one every year. <laughs> uh, in the Big 12, and it sounds like it's going to be TCU this year. Uh, they're kind of back and forth right now for the top recruiting class in the league. Uh, you know, it's a it's a team that I think should be an NCAA tournament team, won the NIT uh, last year. Fun team to watch. You guys know Jamie Dixon. You know he can coach yeah, basketball, sure. uh, and he can recruit uh, better than I thought he could, I'll be honest with you. He's done a nice job on the recruiting front, and, and it's it's good to somewhat be relevant again in basketball at TCU. Yeah, well, uh, Kansas only won it, what, 12 years in a row, uh, yeah, won the league. And, and uh, as we said at, at the time, you know, at Pittsburgh, Jamie Dixon didn't win quite enough. If he wins 20 games a year at, at TCU and gets to the tournament, uh, you'll have company next to your statue down there. They'll put one up for him. Yeah, there's no there's no question about it. And he's almost there, you know, after winning the NIT last year. But I, I love the fact that he has been quick to point it. TCU fans just wanted some success. They get the NIT championship. They thought they'd arrived. Uh, and and he is quick to point out to a man and to a woman who talked to him about it, hey, listen, there's a lot more to do. There's a lot bigger hill to climb than the NIT, and we're not done yet. Okay, good stuff. Fun to uh, catch up with you and get a little uh, window into one of the big games uh, in the weekend and a program that's uh, right there with the college football playoff coming in playoff position uh, at this point. So we'll look to see how that shakes out. Brian, we appreciate the time. Best of luck. Hey, Matt, always remember now, swipe to the right on Tumblr. That's the, that's the way to go. Appreciate it, buddy. It's a good uh, weekend tip. He knows we got the uh, weekend off. I don't Tumblr? have tum- I don't have Tumblr. It's Tinder, isn't it? Yeah, Grandpa. T- Tumblr is the one with photos, right? That's a that's a different app. It was a good joke. Yes, but I think he meant Tinder. Yeah, there's really... Bumble now too. Also, yeah, I think that's a different. That's like Tinder, but it's the women. If you if you like the woman and she likes you, she has to initiate the conversation. So you can't be a creepy mm. guy and talk to her first. So we're locked out, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. All right, that's uh, Brian Estridge. We appreciate it. Words of wisdom there. If anybody else wants to leave a parting shot, you know, when we have him on as a guest and uh, they want to chime in with that, they're more than welcome. You know, Matt, you mentioned big football games. Oklahoma State, West Virginia will be right on these airwaves. Very good. Saturday.
That should be a high-scoring game. Should be exciting broadcast right here on ESPN Radio 97.7 with no orange football game this weekend. We'll be back with uh, Syracuse football with the Dino Babers show at uh, Shaughnessy's Thursday of this coming week and then the Saturday game at Florida State, a 12-20 start time for the Orange and Knowles at Doak Campbell Stadium where Florida State is still winless on the year in three starts. FSU at BC tomorrow night, so we'll be watching that as well. So that's going to be a good clicker night. Boston College, Florida State, World Series Game 3 tomorrow. We'll talk about the World Series Game 2, which was last night. As we continue, it's an extra-ending thriller won by the Astros. Did you stay up? We'll hit on that when we continue. In the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. If you believe that an athlete, a high-profile athlete, is on scholarship and therefore that's good enough, then you must think your rotary phone is good enough at home. I've got a phone and it works fine. Things advance. We have technology. I have a phone that also can connect me to the internet and I can read emails and get text messages and all sorts of great things like subscribe on iTunes to the ESPN Syracuse page. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 AM and 1440 AM. Live from the DBOffers.com powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care no more. Josh Smith is no longer a free agent in the NBA. Reports say the 31-year-old has reached a deal with the New Orleans Pelicans. Or is that New Orleans? Does it matter? Hey, listen, you got Josh Smith right, so let's <laughs> put it while you're ahead. One for one. The Pelicans were allowed to add Smith because of several injuries to his new teammate. Smith, who's been a pro for a dozen years, last played with the Houston Rockets and L.A. Clippers during the 2015-16 season. I literally am not sure how many things you could tell me I could care about less. <laughs> I know. This is the funny thing. You know nothing about sports. What made you pick Josh Smith is no longer a free agent? Because it wasn't. To it, I was going to say, it wasn't Honest Mahmood or <laughs> Jay Bilas. Where where did you find that? Was it like ESPN.com? Was it a headline? Yes, it, it was. A Pelican yes. signing? Was it? It's a slow news day. <laughs> Girardi. Yes. I'm only. <laughs> That's a Sports Center item. Not a do we Next. care. UFC fighter Michael Bisping is being sued by a college student. The 19-year-old is accusing Bisping of choking him during an altercation over the summer at a gym in California. The 38-year-old UFC middleweight champion has not released a statement about the lawsuit. No criminal charges, though, were filed over the alleged skirmish. Prior to yesterday, I'd never even heard of Michael Bisping. And the only reason I have ever heard his name before or know who he is is he was part of a contrived promo during the World Series last night that they were presenting for UFC or whatever his next fight is. So they went through a series of cutaways of famous people and then, oh, here's Michael Bisping. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you who I do care more about that was there at the game last night. You see the Larry King has the great seats. He and Mary Hart right behind the plate. And then Kate Upton, of course, whose fiance is uh, Justin Verlander and others. Jason Bateman. I'm Totally underrated. I'm a big Jason Bateman fan. He looked to be locked into the game. From what I understand, he's a large uh, Dodger fan, and he was chomping on the gum at the critical moments of the game. He was into it. I like people that like baseball. I had a crush on Justine Bateman back in the day. Yeah, yeah, she, she got a thought. I thought you were going to say Kate Upton. I'd be like, yeah, form a line. There's and quite a bit. words of advice from Uncle Paulie. Oh, boy. Don't fight people. 
that are in the UFC. Yeah, that's not a winning proposition. Probably not especially well balanced. Don't fight. Thanks, Uncle Polly. Don't fight anybody. That's right. Make love, not war. (laughs) On that note. Or make Joe a Calzone because he's never (laughs) eaten one before. Why is your last name Salzone and you've never eaten a Do we really want to get into this again? Like no, you're because, Italian, right? Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't know. I never really was interested. <laughs> okay. Massachusetts. This is such a leap from probably the other things he has. I've had pizza. <laughs> I've had, I like ricotta cheese. I don't. Oh. I don't you don't? Like, really? I don't, yeah. I that don't. would probably be a deal breaker on yeah. the calzone. But how do you not like ricotta cheese? I just don't. I don't like the texture of it, oh my the taste, God. the, the this look is of America. it. America. You're horrible. For now. Go ahead. Massachusetts is considering leaving the Eastern time zone. I know the answer to this question, but do we care? A state commission has been studying whether or not Massachusetts should adopt the Atlantic time zone, which would give the state an extra hour of sunlight during the darkness of winter. I actually do kind of care about those types of things. You know, I like to be on time. We have to maybe have games there that might be affected by the time. I'm curious as to how one state can opt into it and how confusing that would be for all the rest of us. I know some states have splits and different time of the year and Arizona does its own thing with the time zone. If you could pick your own time zone, my, my personal pick would probably be central. You know, if we could, I don't know, could we live here and for it to be central time? But um, good for them, I suppose, if they want to do it. Is that for the uh, fishery business or... That's just because they, they don't like the darkness. I like an well, extra hour of sunlight during the day. I could see that. I I hate it. I want more darkness. I would like to push for an extra hour of light. No. We need about five Well, fewer you don't get an extra hour of light. It's just the different. Yeah, well. We it's don't. when it comes, you know. Okay, Joe, you really uh, cracked the nut there today. Yeah, I do what I can. Do we care? It's brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's, love at first slice. I told you I'm not doing the show tomorrow, right? Yes. Good. I, All right. I understand why now. <laughs> this is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse brought to you by CH Insurance, CNYRealtor.com, and Burdick Ford. Good to have you along with us here for a few more minutes today. Back on Monday at 2. Tomorrow's show, hodgepodge of some of the better stuff we've done during the week if there is enough. Listen all day and be caller number five when prompted. Is this a prompt? Is this meant to be a prompt? It is, right? Yes, yeah. you are. So prompting. here's your prompt right now. Well, this is the prompt. Listen for, uh, well, you're already listening. You're listening now, and now I'm prompting you, and here's why we're prompting you. Caller number five will get a chance to see an advanced screening of the ESPN 30 for 30 Nature Boy, the Ric Flair story at the Red, Hearts, Red House Arts Center just across the way. From our worldwide uh, headquarters here, that's Thursday, November 2nd. Get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the legendary wrestler before it airs on TV. Winners will see the movie, have a chance to win the complete 30 for 30 library, and enjoy a free meal. Afterwards, stick around for a Q&A with Brent Axe, brought to you by United Auto Supply and ESPN Radio Syracuse. Number is 315-ESPN44, 315-437-7644. Caller number 5 can woo until the cows come home. One of the perks of my gig is I got to see it because we were going to be doing the Coach Baber show when we were, and it is awesome. I will tell you that. One of the better 30 for 30s. Get out of here. It is. It completely separates him from his persona as a wrestler, and it is awesome. It is awesome. So there I've you. enjoyed all the 30 for 30s. That one is not going to be on the top of my list, but uh, for those of you, the phone lines are lighting up. God bless you. 
I'm not even it. a huge wrestling fan, and it is. What I, a, yeah, what I mean, I'll life. give it a shot. It's the crazy. Yeah, his life story. was crazy. Fabricated him into himself into something. Uh, felt really old last night, Polly. When uh, you know, guy, I went out and watched as a as a player. Stu Peterson over at MacArthur Stadium. His son hit a home run in the World Series last night. That made me feel old. Yeah, I remember going to MacArthur uh, Park yeah. or Stadium and uh, yeah. watching him play. And uh... Jock Peterson tied the game at one. Almost all the scoring in the game on home runs. In fact, the Astros hit four of them. The Astros scored in the ninth. I'm sorry, the eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh innings last night. One of the better games I've watched. In a long it was time. Uh, really cool. We're fighting to stay awake for the key moments as the Astros win it in eleven. center field back at the wall and it is gone tie game in the ninth marwin gonzalez 10th inning altuve in the left center field back at the wall it is gone jose altuve has put houston on top here's one into left center field off the bat of correa altuve and correa go back to back and it's 5-3 here in the 10th inning with Houston on top to Springer. It is gone. Springer goes deep. And the Astros are back on top by two. Each team scoring twice in the 10th. Now that makes a heck of a game. Uh, really one of the great World Series games in recent memory. Uh, from uh, Jerry Krasnick's story today and Jason Stark, our friend, followed up with a note. The Astros are the first team, and this is in any game, uh, regular or postseason, to score in the 8th, ninth, 10th, and 11th innings of any game since uh, Game 6 of the uh, 2011 World Series. Although, I wonder if that, that might be only in World Series games. But I, I don't think that's going to happen too often in, in the uh, regular season either, for that matter. But uh, neat note there. They started with a great job. The Dodgers did with uh, Vince Scully coming out. Had to include Vince Scully somehow. He's too uh, humble, really, to take a broadcasting role. Didn't want to be in front of it, but they took a, a blimp shot. They came out of commercial, blimp shot, PA announcer. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, now for the ceremonial first pitch. No other words. Uh, Vince Scully came uh, walking out of the, the dugout, uh, dressed to the nines, as always, and sort of narrated the whole thing himself. Hey, you know, look at me in kind of self-deprecating way. What am I doing on the mound? And then played up a big deal. Well, we need a catcher. Here comes Steve Yeager, 14-year Dodger. And uh, then Vin's like, oh, I don't want to throw it. Let's have somebody else throw it. Fernando Valenzuela. Uh, so they uh, nailed that. A uh, little sad to see that uh, Vin's got the shakes a little bit, but uh, he's in his mid-80s and uh, is just an absolute treasure uh, beloved by all. And um, really cool way to uh, to involve him without him crossing the line into what he would have felt uh, uncomfortable in terms of going on the, the broadcast and that type of thing. He is uh, so classy, he defers in those situations. There was a moment in the broadcast last night where, you know, when the announcers, you can tell, just feel lucky that they're part of the game. And as they're going to a break, you just, how great is this game? Was all he said is they're going to the break, and it was just awesome. Like, you know, like I love it when the announcers can make you feel like, you know what, you're right, this guy's having fun calling this game, and it's as much fun calling it as I am watching it. Well, you sat there uh, next to us probably for so many of them, and that's certainly the six-overtime game. We felt that with the whole building. How lucky are we to be seeing this? And that really would have been regardless of the outcome. Obviously, 
from a Syracuse perspective, we remember that game so much more fondly. But when we're turning around and it goes from three to four to five to six overtimes and you start high-fiving strangers, that's uh, when it was really cool. Yeah, and I just re- Matt Rowe is like, you got to be kidding me. You know, like, I've never seen anything like this. This is a guy who's who's played the game, you know, yeah. at that level. So it was awesome. Very neat. Um, the media poll at the ACC was not announced yesterday. They do things a little differently in the ACC. They've got it together today, and uh, Syracuse positioned number ten in the preseason media poll. So that's a lot lower than uh, folks around here are used to hearing. Doesn't really matter much, but uh, we'll see how it does uh, shake out over the course of the season. Obviously, the Orange are going to have to build into something by conference time. Duke gets uh, 57 of the 70 or so uh, first-place votes, followed by North Carolina, Notre Dame, Miami. So those would be the double-bye teams. Then Louisville, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Florida State. And then the uh, next tier there, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson, Boston College, and Pittsburgh. BC Pitt, two teams that uh, Syracuse plays on the regular in basketball and plays them twice, are at the very bottom of the league there. Uh, so, um, got to win. You certainly got to win the games against uh, the teams below you in that line: Wake, NC State, Clemson, BC, and Pitt, and see what you can get from there. All right, that brings another week of this show to a close. Hope you will check out our best of tomorrow at two for Joe and Polly, the whole gang. Hope you have a great weekend. Back at it with the football basketball crossover starting up. This coming week, good to have you along. It's in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.